0: you are with us uh, this morning you know all of this uh, this thing with the coronavirus has been hard on everybody it's it's changed our habits it's changed the way we we live our life I don't like the fact that we can't assemble together on the first day of the week I miss everybody and I haven't got to hug my grandchildren in three weeks I sure enough don't like that, but but you know it wasn't until this past week that I think it really hit home with me what all of this uh, social distancing uh, stuff is is really all about. At Joe Rain's service this past week, uh, Joe had asked me quite some time back, you know, when the time comes, will you speak at at my service and that happens all the time and I just have a standard answer that I give I always just say uh, yes I'll be happy to help but not anytime soon well that time finally came for Joe and I I had pictured this we knew Joe was sick I had pictured it in my mind and I'd always thought well we'll be at the church building because Joe knew so many people and there'll be a big crowd we'll sing uh his favorite song, leave behind, yes, leave behind. What will I leave behind? We'll sing that and, and uh, everybody will be uh, huddled around Vera and, and giving her hugs and it was nothing like that. We had to uh, meet up on the hill at Collier Cemetery. There was a cold wind blowing. Bless Vera's heart. Her and Jeff and Leisha were the only Three people that were even close to, to the coffin. Uh, everybody else was scattered all around, and Vera was huddled up in her coat. She had her hood up over her head, and I stood to speak, and I, I looked out over the people that were there, and they were doing what they were supposed to do. They were staying apart, scattered all over the hillside there, and I'm trying to deliver the, uh, the message, but in the back of my mind I'm I'm thinking this is not the way it should be. Uh, This is a memorial service. We need to be huddled around Vera. We need to be hugging her neck. We need to be leaning on each other and we just couldn't do it and it just it just really hit home with me uh, what we're going through right now. And I know we need to continue to practice the social distancing and we need to be careful and make sure that we, we're not spreading the virus around. But let us, let us just keep praying that this will pass just as soon as possible and ask for God's help and God's blessings. The lesson this morning is about this book, God's Word. Second Peter 1 and verse 21 tells us that prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. Paul tells us that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good thing. Work. The writers of the Bible could write and not make any mistakes. They were led in their writing by the Holy Spirit. Look at what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 14. Now this is just before Jesus goes to the cross. And he knows that his time here on the earth is short. And so in verse 25 of that chapter he says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. He emphasizes that again over in chapter 16. And in verse 12, he says... you. And so the Holy Spirit guided the writers of the Bible and guided the apostles in the early days in the things that they preached and they taught. Now, that's not how the Spirit leads us today. But when we we study God's Word, these men were inspired by the Holy Spirit that's how the Spirit still leads us today it is not miraculous as it was in their day but we are still led by the Holy Spirit when we read the Holy Spirit inspired word the Old Testament goes back over 3000 years and it was finished 400 years before Jesus was even born into the world, from from Malachi to Matthew, about four centuries go by. It was written almost entirely in the Hebrew language. There's a little bit in Aramaic, but for the most part, it was written in Hebrew. Now, about 250 B.C., it's still two and a half centuries before Jesus will come into the world, A translation of the Old Testament was done from the Hebrew into the Greek. That happened in Alexandria, Egypt, and it was known as the Septuagint. Now, it's important that we know those things because scoffers today will say, well, no wonder that Bible goes together so well. For all we know, the same man or the same group of people might have uh, wrote the whole thing. No wonder it goes together so well. But the historians tell us that that didn't happen because the Old Testament was finished 400 years before Jesus was even born. And the Septuagint, we know this, a historical record. The Septuagint was translated two and a half centuries before Jesus came into the world. No, the same person or group of people did not put together the whole Bible. The New Testament was written entirely in the first century. It was written in the old Greek language. and Nobody speaks that uh, anymore. Even in Greece, they don't speak it. It's It's a dead language. But in Jesus' day, it was the language of the world, much like English is today. The gospel writers tell us about Jesus' time here on the earth. Matthew and Luke tell us a, a little bit about his birth, but for the most part, they focus on his ministry, which lasted about three years. But, but Jesus, Jesus did so much during that time that they just couldn't get it all wrote down. And I think about Matthew chapter 9. In, in that passage, in, in Matthew 9, in just a a, a few verses, uh, Jesus raises a young girl from the dead. Uh, a woman is healed by touching the hem of his garment. Two blind men receive their sight, and another man has a, an evil spirit cast out, all of that happens in just a few verses, and then at the end of Matthew 9, this is verse 35, Matthew says, that Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. You know, I'm convinced that Jesus... Jesus must have performed, I believe, hundreds of miracles. We don't have the whole story. We don't have all the details. But many, many miracles are referred to as in this passage that we, that we just read. I believe there were hundreds of them. And there must have been many sermons and, and many lessons that Jesus taught that are just not recorded for us. In fact, at the end of his gospel... John tells us, these are the words that he writes there, he says there were many other things which Jesus did, which, if they were written one by one, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John just didn't have room to write it all down. Now, the book of Acts, is it's a history book. It's the story of the early days of the church. How the church was established in Acts chapter 2. How the gospel was spread. What the apostles were preaching and teaching. What those early Christians were doing. Acts is a history of those things. The epistles are letters that were written to the various congregations uh, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and so on. And some were were written to individuals. First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon were written to to individual Christians, and and they let us know when we read those things and study those things. They let us know what the apostles were teaching in the first century. If we just read those things and practice those things and do them the way they did them then, we must be doing it the right way. And so the Bible was written over a period of 15 to 1600 years, about 40 different men Most of those men did not know each other. They lived in different time periods. They couldn't have known each other. And yet they wrote with the same basic theme. There's an Almighty God in heaven and He's going to send a a Savior into the world to save the human race from their sins. The Old Testament prophets make it clear that that was God's plan. And then the New Testament tells us He did send that Savior. That Savior was Jesus Christ. Little history for you. Our, Our Bibles were translated from three major manuscripts. When I say major, what I mean by that is, those three manuscripts basically have the whole Bible. From... Beginning to end. But along with them, there are over 5,000 partial manuscripts. They don't have the whole Bible, but they have parts of the Bible. And there's more than 5,000 of them. We can compare uh, all of those things and verify the accuracy of our Bibles. We also have the Dead Sea Scrolls. (coughs) They were discovered... Uh, in a cave uh, near the dead sea in 1947 and we've been able to to use those things to help verify the accuracy of our bibles folks when we when we talk about ancient writing the bible is the most well documented ancient book In the world, when the subject is ancient books, none are more well documented than our Bibles. The first major English translation of the Bible was done by a man named John Wycliffe. He finished it in 1382, but it actually took him uh, over 20 years to do it. Now, it's important to remember that in the Middle Ages, in John Wycliffe's day, Catholicism was the dominant religion. Uh, Kings and queens bowed to the Pope. He He had immense power. And the Catholic leaders of that day did not want the Bible in the hands of the common man. And the reason for that was they knew if people read the Bible for themselves they would see how far away they had gotten from it. And so they didn't want the Bible in the hands of common people. John Wycliffe was ordered to come to Rome. No doubt he would have been punished. But he died before he got there. The historians tell us they were so upset with him, they they dug up his remains and they burned them. They were really mad at John Wycliffe for translating the Bible into English. Now by fifteen thirty-six there was a man named William Tyndale who also did an English translation. And by this time the printing press had been invented. So William Tyndale could could turn those out, those things out much faster than they had ever been able to do it before again the historians tell us that the catholic leaders had him arrested they tied him to a stake they strangled him and they burned his body at the stake now i am not suggesting that that catholics today would ever approve of any such thing I, i'm certain that they would not But in 1536, in the Middle Ages, they did not want the Bible in the hands of the common man. They were really upset with William Tyndale. They didn't want regular people to have the Bible. But finally, King James of England authorized a a translation of the Bible that could be read by all English-speaking people. It was finished in 1611. It was the work of 54 scholars. It took them three years to do it. And so we have the, the King James Version. Now, the original King James was done in Middle English. That's what was spoken in England at that time. And that's why we have the, the these and the thous and the thou art and thou hast and thou wert. That, that was the Middle English of, of those days. The King James itself has been revised several times over the years as the English language has changed. You know, I happen to have a, uh, a, a copy of that original uh, sixteen eleven, I'm telling you, we would uh, we would have trouble reading and studying that. We just don't speak the Middle English anymore, and so it has been revised a few times uh, over the years as the English language has changed. Now, in 1901, the American Standard version was published, and the language there is a uh, is updated some, and it, it's much easier to read than uh, than the old the old King James version was. And then in 1982, the New King James was published for the first time, and they used the 1901 American Standard as their guide as they translated uh, their their Bible. I might just throw this in uh, just for your information. Brother Guyon Woods, who is just generally recognized as one of our our great Bible scholars of of our day, Brother Woods used to say that that he thought, in his view, the 1901 American Standard was one of the very best translations uh, uh, available to us. And he added to that that since the New King James translators used the 1901 as their guide, he also believed that the New King James was a good translation. That was, that was his view, and that's just for your own uh, uh, information. Uh, Guy and in Wood's uh, word carries a lot of weight with me personally. This is, this is a, a, a New King James And it is the one that I generally read from. Now, since I've been trying to memorize passages of scriptures for many, many years, many of the passages that I memorized, I memorized out of the King James Version. And so I kind of use those two uh, uh, interchangeably. Those are the two that, that I generally use. There are many, many others out there. Some of them are good, some of them uh, are, are not so good. Remember that the writers of the Bible, they were inspired. They were led by the Holy Spirit. But the men who translate the Bible are not inspired. And many translations are tainted by partiality or by, by prejudice. Sometimes the translators just make them say whatever they want them to say. So it's important that we make sure that we have a good translation of the Bible. I do not believe that the Bible would ever have survived all of these centuries, all of the people who were trying to to destroy it. If God had not intervened on our part, I do not believe we would even have the Bible today. But God made sure that we would have it in our hands even until this day. We must study it. The Holy Spirit-inspired Word. Study it and apply it to our lives. One thing we know for sure, the Bible teaches is the plan of salvation that means that we if we want to become a member of the Lord's body we must be willing to repent of our sins we must be willing to confess our faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God yes I believe that Jesus is God's Son we must be willing to submit to water baptism for the remission of our sins that is immersion In the waters of baptism so that our sins could be washed away that's where the blood of Jesus Christ will touch us at when we are immersed in the waters of baptism it also teaches us that even after we have taken those steps we've come up out of those waters a a new creature and a member of the Lord's body we can still go astray If we fail to practice the New Testament as we should, we can fall away. And if that is the case with us, we must be willing to repent of those things that caused us to fall away. And then we can ask for the prayers of the faithful and be restored. These last two weeks, as we have been streaming live, two ladies have have let us know uh, after listening to the messages they have let us know that, that they believe they need to be restored and they have asked for our prayers. If you will, will let us know uh, here at Bethel, any of the elders, any of our, our members, we will make sure that, that we help you in any way that we can to make sure that you are in good standing with God. Thank you for listening this morning. If you have your communion ready at home, Bobby Lloyd will lead us through the elements of the Lord's Supper.